Our scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In 1999, June 1999, I was at my house in the evening and I got a telephone call from my brother who lives, lived across town from me at the time. And the first thing he said was, Maybe you should sit down. You know, when that's the first thing someone says, that's not going to be a good phone call. And I got the word from my brother that night, that afternoon, that my father had died. That day. He was about six months older than I am now. Died in an accident. It was a shock to the system. He was a good father. Now, I could have identified problems that he had, imperfections of his. He wasn't a good father 100% of the time. But suddenly there was a big, empty space. I remember while I, I, you know, immediately we all flew to the Northwest in Washington where my parents lived at the time and we were prepared, you know, all the stuff. 
And my brother-in-law and me went to the little town where this accident occurred to uh, get my father's remains. And we're driving back and we're just driving along in the freeway. And there were these fields. This is in central Washington state. It's in this agricultural, large agricultural region, these big open valleys full of fields of crops. Well, these particular fields of crops on both sides of the freeway were a bit strange because they changed pretty regularly. And along the way, there were these signs with these weird, just a number, these, you know, big signs with, you know, it's not something you expect in a field. This is a very strange thing for me to tell you about, but there is a point. (laughs) I was looking at those signs going by and wondering to myself, what, what is that? And it, suddenly dawned on me that this is a question I would have asked my dad because there would be a really good chance he would have looked it up. He would have known or had a really good guess. And I found myself noticing the empty space. He took up a lot of space in my life, obviously. One of the things I've kind of learned from this whole experience is that fellowship is it. that it's in knowing others that life itself consists. And that when someone dies, what we mean by that is they're not with us. And that the thing itself is fellowship and that we were made with this thing in our very design in our even our biology is created for fellowship and this is because it is created from fellowship Because the God who is God is himself an eternal fellowship of three persons. And so when he went to create humanity, the pinnacle of all his creatures, they were to be created in his image. And what that means is to walk in fellowship. Fellowship with him, 
(laughs) And out of fellowship with him, fellowship with each other. And so humanity, every last one of us, is alive in that we are in relation. This is what we read about in the whole book of Ephesians. This is the the point of the whole thing that we've been studying for weeks and weeks. And today we have this great occasion to notice an empty space and to see the vitality of relationship and then to remember that absence is not permanent and in fact to some degree not total not complete I still have a relationship with my father and praise God because he is in fact not dead Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. Now, I don't know how much my father pays attention to me these days. I am competing with Jesus. And so I know my father enjoys that presence. But I also know that we will meet again in resurrection. That's what we've been reading about in Ephesians. Resurrection. How did God make us? How did he make us and us? You know, you could just look around this room and you can tell we are not all from the same family. We are not all from the same language. We are not all from the same nation. We are not all of one tribe. We are of many tribes, many tongues, many nations right here We have at least seven different native languages represented in this room this morning. How are we a thing? That's what Ephesians is about. How are we an us? And not just a you and a me and a him and a her. We've read about this. The the answer to this question is Christ has built his church. This goes back to the beginning. In him, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. At the end of chapter 1, we read, Christ is given. God gave Christ the risen, the risen, seated Christ, the Lord, to be head over all things to the church. 
Now, we tend to read that as though it said to be head over all things to me and to you and to him and to her. But that's not what it says. It says to the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What? Wait a second now. The church is the fullness of him who fills all. You see, this is about fellowship. This is about relationship. This is about a one and an another operating together, experiencing unity and identity at the same time. So God gave Christ his head over all things to the church. And then we read in the beginning of chapter 2, you were dead. But God, because of his great love, with which he loved us, made us alive. Except he didn't just make me alive, and you alive, and him alive, and her alive. He uses this strangely constructed word in that, in that text. He, made, he together made alive us. That's all one word, together made alive. It's like you take the word made alive, and you put a little prefix on the front of it that means together. He could have just said, use the regular word. But this is a thing he did for us as a people, not as just each one of us. Now, of course, he made me alive. He made you alive. He made each one of us alive. That's true. But here we're reading how he made together us alive. One people. And if that weren't clear, then he immediately says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, his made thing. We, that's a plural word, are his workmanship. That's a singular word. There's only one workmanship. It's not that I'm a work of God and you're a work of God and he's a work of God and she's a work of God. It's that we together are a work of God, which he already said when he said he together made us alive. He together raised us up. He together seated us. We are his workmanship. Well, then he goes on. To say, and we looked at this last week, that he himself is our peace. Because you used to be Gentiles. This letter's mostly written to Gentiles. He said, you used to be Gentiles, strangers, foreigners, unknown. Well, unknowing, really, is the main thing. No connection to the covenants of promise. No connection to God without God in the world. But now, Christ has, is our peace because in his work on the cross, he took down the things that divide us. And in this case, the things that divided Jews and Gentiles is the law of Moses. 
And then it says this. So in his death, he created us one new man in him. You see, in the book of Ephesians, while the book of Ephesians recognizes that there are individual Christians, the book of Ephesians is really about one Christian. One Christian, and that is the body of Christ, the people of God together. One new man. It doesn't say he made me a new man, he made you a new man, he made him a new man, he made her a new woman. Doesn't say that. One. There's only one. And then it says he reconciles us together in one body to God. Do you realize that when Christ died on the cross, he put us together and then he put us together, together with God? We tend to think that he put, he reconciled me to God, he reconciled you to God, he reconciled him to God, he reconciled her to God. But here in Ephesians, he reconciles us all at once in one body to God. So then, now we finally come after 20 minutes to the part for today. That was all review. But one of the points of the book of Ephesians is we matter to one another. We are supposed to take up space in one another's lives. We are a thing together. And that what we are together is, is about, well, it's really more the main thing than who I am and who you are, even in relation to God. We are together in Him. So he says, this is in verse 18, I think. Well, I'll find it. Sorry, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer strangers and aliens. <laughs> this word stranger could mean something like weirdo, you know, <laughs> like odd person, someone strange. But it's used in this context, I think, to mean a stranger as in a foreigner. You Gentiles, you used to be foreigners in the people of God. You're no longer foreigners. Well, but then he uses this other word, aliens, which means basically the same thing, except it means someone like me, someone who lives outside of his own country. That's an alien. Someone who is the nice word for it is expat, expatriate. Someone who lives in a country that he's not a citizen of. 
I don't have a Dutch passport. I have a U.S. passport. But the government of Bonaire, or some government, I'm not clear on how this all works, but has given me the privilege of living in a country that is not my country. I am an alien. And you might look at me and think, yeah, I'm kind of strange too. I don't know the ways, right? Foreigners. We've all done that. Foreigners. I've done that here. But this says, you, because of this union with Christ and this new man reality, this union with one another in Christ, because of that, you who used to be strangers and aliens, you are no longer that. Instead, you're fellow citizens with the saints. What is this country we all belong to now? It's the saints' country. It's the nation of God's people. It is those who are set apart to him. That's what saint means. Claimed by the cross of Christ. Where God has said, you are mine. And so, because God has said that about each of us and about all of us, we are fellow citizens with the saints, the holy ones of God. Now, we tend to think of saints as being the church in heaven. Well, guess what? It's all one church. The church in heaven and the church on earth, that's not two churches. That's not one new man there and one new man here. All one. All one. Fellow citizens with the saints. So then, you're not strangers and aliens, but citizens. That makes us a nation a nation, a nation that one day will form the kingdom of Christ. Well, really already does, yet to be played out completely. Then he says, and members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. Well, that's a family. That's a family. Children of God, we can call ourselves. <laughs> I like that verse in First John where he says, Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God.
unmitigated goodness. Members of the household of God, welcome in the living room of God, at the table of God. Members of the household. So we're a nation and a family. We're not nations. All those other nations are represented here, but now we are a nation. And we are a family. Not my family and your family. A family. That is why we call each other brother and sister. And when we call each brother each other brother and sister, we are not using a metaphor. We are not claiming a a, a figure of speech. No, we are saying what is actually true. We really are. Members of the household of God. Then he says, he's, he's going to like switch illustrations right in the middle here. He says, members of the household of God, that's a family term. And I looked at how this term is used in all the Bible, household. It's used for families. But then he says, built on the foundation. Now he's talking about a building. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Now he's talking about a building. Jesus is the measuring point of this whole structure, this whole building He is the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets, the scripture, those who wrote it, the apostles and prophets form the foundation on which we are built. And he says, in Christ, the whole building being joined together in him grows into a holy temple. Peter uses this same illustration and he talks about each of us as an individual like a stone placed in the building. Living stones. And being joined together we grow. (laughs) Don't miss that. Because here's how I think of growth, you know, the way I was brought up in the Christian church. I'm supposed to grow in relation to God, in Christ. So I'm supposed to have my own individual... Well, I I wouldn't want to deny that. That's certainly good and beneficial. But what's in mind here is we grow together into a single thing. Also, we tend to use this temple analogy to apply to us individually. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true, actually. That's in 1 Corinthians. But here, it's not about us individually. It's about us together. Being joined together, we grow into a holy temple 
in the Lord. I guess I should say here, just to remind you that in the book of Ephesians, this expression, in the Lord, in Christ, in Him, is repeated so many times it starts to get monotonous. And the point is, in union with God in Christ, these things are true. We are in Him, and He's in us. And here we grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Being joined together. <laughs> you see, the fellowship is the thing itself. It's the joining together of us that grows the temple. And we are joined together when any new person comes to Christ Someone is joined together with us. And we are joined together when you and I experience friendship, fellowship, when we grow in relation to each other, when I know you and you know me, and we share the knowledge of God in Christ, and we look into His Word together, and we ponder how to serve Him together, and we work together and we stand together all of this is together it is by being joined together that we are growing into a holy temple now just a little bit of grammar lesson here this doesn't say joining yourselves together It doesn't say in Christ the whole building joining themselves together. It says being joined. Guess what? We're not the ones doing the joining. We're not the builders of this temple. We sometimes act like we are. We sometimes think that Jesus said, on this rock you will build my church. He did not say that. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. We really want to do all the work. Well, no. We are being joined together. We are experiencing the love of God together in the body of Christ and being joined by the ministry of God in Christ by the Spirit. Do you have any idea how good this is? The answer to that question is no. However good you imagine it to be, it is so many, many times greater. Well, in case we didn't get it already, it says, in him, you too are being built together. He says it again into a dwelling place for God. Now he's telling you what a temple is. What is a temple? A house for God. You remember that big conversation God had with David, with Israel at various points in their history? It was, you guys are busy building your own house. What about my house? 
But you see, the temple of God that is the real temple of God is not a physical structure. The physical structure, the temple of Solomon or of Herod or of Moses, uh, I, I don't know who before that, or the tabernacle, the tent, God's house. God lived in a tent with his people. Those physical structures are only images and shadows of the real thing, which is us. His people. How does God dwell in the world today? Now, most of us Christians, we think, well, in me and in you and in him and in her, but that is not what this text says. This text says you are built together, together into a dwelling place for God. That is why it is so essential that we have these meetings. That is why the word for church is the word assembly. <laughs> Think of that now for a minute. Assembly. Ecclesia. I don't know where we got the English word church because ecclesia is much better and just exactly the word the Bible uses. us. It means the people called out and gathered together. <laughs> and so God is assembling us. And this is why it matters that we are here face to face because that is really a whole different thing from here on Facebook. I'm really not trying to hassle those of you on Facebook, but you need the us, the real relationship, the embrace, the handshake, the eye to eye. We are made for these things. This is why we have eyes and arms. And so we are one new man in Christ, a nation, a, an identified people group with a Lord, a king, a nation. We are a family. You are my brother, my sister. We have a father. We have a spirit. And that is the last thing he says in this text. Into a dwelling place for God in the spirit. How does God dwell in us? In the spirit. The Scripture says, those who belong to Christ, the Spirit of the living, eternal God, Almighty, Creator of all things, His Spirit dwells in us. We should fall down and faint every time we hear that. It's so ridiculous and amazing. The Spirit of God, this is the third person of the triune God, lives in me. 
How does he stand it? I don't know, but he does because he has laid claim to me. And because he has laid claim to me, he lives in me. But you know, what's important here is he lives in us. And when we gather, we experience the indwelling spirit of God in a way we don't experience it alone. Because the whole Christian experience is not intended to be alone. The whole thing is, a well, all of everything is a fellowship because it's made by a fellowship. I don't know how a person who doesn't know the triune God explains the world because the world exists in fellowship and is the expression of a living fellowship. This is why when we lose someone, it hurts. Death is the enemy of fellowship. And death is the thing Jesus died to remove from us. And because that is true, because he is raised from the dead and has promised us that we are the people who will be raised from the dead, death has lost its sting for us. Now, we still feel the empty space. We feel it this very minute. It's a big gaping hole. And it hurts. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So when we feel the pain, we know the Savior who feels the pain. We know that in him we have everlasting life. And life is knowing him. Life is knowing one another in him. And that is our hope. So while we grieve, we hope. We have someone to bring our grief to who knows it even better than we. And he shares it. And he is there with us in it. God did not stay up there wishing us well. He is one of us in this. Praise his name. Father, thank you for this reality of the love of Christ, of the fellowship of Christ, of the fellowship of his people, 
of the comfort we can share in Him. That we can receive it from You and we can share it with each other to give an embrace, to stand nearby, to just be with one another. Lord, we thank You for the honor you gave us when you gave us Judith. For the love of Christ that was so real to her and because it was real to her, she made it real to us. Lord, that's what we want. We want to know your love. And we want to be your love for the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.